if you are working on becoming more talented, healthy, reputable, innovative, vision-minded, engaged, or service-oriented, you are in the right place. Those words spell out Thrives, and this is the Thrives Podcast. I'm your host, Wendy Jenkins, the Assistant Vice Chancellor for Leadership and Institutional Development at the University System of Georgia. In each episode, I will talk to a guest about how they are thriving in the USG. In addition to chatting with those in leadership positions around the system, this podcast will spotlight various working groups and departments to give you a broader view of the system. We will dive into what effective leadership looks like and sounds like and explore how each piece of the puzzle you hear fits into our USG. We are all the USG, and our goal is that you continue to learn, develop, and grow through these episodes. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Thrives Podcast. Today, I am talking with the Assistant Vice Chancellor for External Affairs, Casey Tanner. And Casey has been with the University System of Georgia since January of 2019. This is going to be one of those episodes where you may want to make some notes, y'all, because we're going to get a lot of just really good information because in her role as the ABC for External Affairs, Casey develops and implements governmental relations strategies and advocates for system priorities in this thing that we call the legislative session. So we're going to dig in a little bit to that. She's going to explain what that means for her role, um, maybe a little bit about how we can get involved, what we need to know. So Casey, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Hey, Wendy, thanks so much for having me. I'm a loyal listener, so I've been really excited to chat with you today. That makes my heart just grow three sizes, <laughs> as as they say in the, in, uh, the Grinch. Um, <laughs> that just makes my heart so happy to hear. But I've been really looking forward to this. This has been on my radar because I don't think I know as much as I need to know, Casey. I, you know, having come to the system office about the same time you did in 2019, it was just one of these things I've always heard about with your role and everything that you juggle. But I, I am here to learn. So let's jump in. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about the work you do that isn't captured in your introduction? Absolutely. So, you know, when we say my job is to advance the university system's priorities, that relies really heavily on building and sustaining relationships with our external partners, which can look like elected officials, certainly their staffs, um, third-party organizations and interest groups, our chambers of commerce, for example. Um, so year-round, we're really engaging with those type stakeholders and tracking and engaging on issues that impact public higher education in our state. Um, so really, no day looks the same for me, which I enjoy. Um, but I, as you can imagine, yeah. my days are filled with legislative meetings and hearings, um, a lot of those on the calendar that require a good bit of prep work and follow-up afterwards. Um, but the less obvious side of my work, I would 
say is just the frequent engagement with our stakeholders that is really on a daily basis. Calls with our committee chairman and other legislators, staff members um, calling about either constituent issue or an idea that they have, um, as well as our campus leaders. So from presidents and their teams to our awesome team of government relations contacts across the system, we work with, through requests, issues, exciting new ideas. Um, it really runs the gamut. And as you can imagine, all of this work really comes to a head during the legislative session every year. Okay, so every day looks a little different. It, lots of stakeholders, a lot of different personalities. So I want to, I think as we go today, we'll dig into some of these, but you just said that this, this, ma this magic word called session or what some people refer to as a legislative session. Can, can you tell me more about what that means? Yeah, absolutely. So our state legislature in Georgia is the Georgia General Assembly. They meet every year beginning the second Monday of January. So we always know what date that's going to be on the second Monday. It's January 9th this upcoming year. Um, and that starts the 40-day legislative session. Those days are taken in a non-consecutive format, so they can meet a few days a week officially, and that's what gets us that typically the session lasts through at least April, into April, late March, early April. Um, so that is constitutes the legislative session that we hear about. Um, this is when the state budget is set for the mid-year and upcoming fiscal year. That's where state-level legislation is introduced, modified, and passed into law. And when that gavel hits mm -hmm. <laughs> on the last day of that mm -hmm. 40th, 40th day at midnight, that ends the legislative session for that year. Okay. So are these like long days? Are they short days? Is every day different? Are you kind of running back and forth? What's that look like for you and, and our team at the system office? Yeah, well, it, it is very helpful to have our system office so close to the Capitol mm -hmm. because we are able to run back and forth. You know, really, they get started on an average day around 10 o'clock if, if it's a session day. Mm -hmm. And it just depends on what's on the calendar. So as things are ramping up, they're engaging in the budget process. It's a little lighter on the calendar and the days are quicker, maybe ending by lunch. That's when they'll start after the lunch hour, the committee hearings. And so those take place typically oh. in the afternoons or early morning, depending on the schedule. But as we get closer to, we have a major uh, point in the session. It's a little over halfway through the session. We call it crossover day. And that's the point by which any House bills have to pass over to the Senate and Senate pass over to the House in order for the bill to continue on this legislative session. And so that's a big, big major marker. Those nights go very long leading up to crossover mm. and, and certainly that night. And then again, at the end of the session, they, they can be meeting through dinner well into the night still voting on bills over there at the capitol okay so for these 40 days life is pretty unpredictable for you it sounds like and, and again not just you but but the the external affairs team and and anyone who's connected to the legislative session absolutely we have okay. you know as you can imagine our presidents are so involved in mm. their local communities and part of their community members that come up and engage with their legislative delegation. So they're coming up. There's receptions that major communities are hosting. You know, the Savannah group comes on and puts on a big oyster roast uh, oh, and wow. low country boil for all okay. the so it is. There's also some of that more true relationship building time going on in addition to what can be late meetings or um, hearings. Yeah. You know, we may... We may get a phone call uh, one morning that 
a bill is going to be in committee and they would like to hear university system testimony that afternoon. And so as much as you can be prepared, there is always the, the fast paced unknown of what the date will hold, especially when they're in session. This is fascinating to me because and, and Casey, you know, through um, just through your the various um, sessions and, and workshops that that you that we've done together and, um, you know, I'm personality preferences are a really big thing in, in leadership and institutional development. And so as a very structural person, to me, that's like, oh, wow. I mean, you've got to be ready to go on a moment's notice to testify or to gather information. So, I mean, it just, it, that, I'm just fascinated. That's why I keep asking about, you know, kind of how the structure of the day is. Is that something that it took you getting used to? Yeah, that's a great question. I was a college student intern for my first mm. legislative session. And so really, I would say got hooked there. But okay. I'm not I'm not really a fly by a seat of your pants type of person. So <laughs> it does stretch me a little bit when things aren't aren't as predictable. But it mm. that sort of chaotic, uh, fast paced environment is uh, a little addicting in a way. And, mm. and so many things happen. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of people who don't maybe follow the state level, you know, the, the federal level gets a lot of attention, obviously, mm -hmm. it, as it should, but things happen so quickly at the state level. Um, it is fun and it's cool to see that a bill can get introduced and passed all in 40 days um, and move on to the next, right? And so mm -hmm. that's been a very fun part of this work. Yeah. So, girl, the team really tracks carefully any bill that's connected to higher ed or that would impact. The work we do and and stays on top of that to to see its progress i mean i'll have to tell you i mean i'm a child of like schoolhouse rock you know and so i'm <laughs> yeah. thinking about that old you know uh cartoon about how a bill you know becomes a law or whatever so it's oversimplifying it way too much in my head i'm sure but i think you know it's all it's on our minds right now because of the election season um, but also because we have session coming up so with that being said, I mean, is there anything else that you would want sort of everybody in the system to know about the legislative session? Yeah, I am. Um, you know, I think watching Schoolhouse Rock would be a great refreshment. <laughs> <laughs> How Bill becomes law. understanding the basics, right? That would be nice. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we've talked about how fast paced the process is. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's, you know, helpful to understand the makeup of the legislature. So in Georgia, we have 236 legislators. That's 130 state representatives, 56 state senators. That's a pretty large legislature. We're the third largest in the country in terms of, of state general assemblies. Um, but I think it's important for us in Georgia to understand that we have a part-time citizen legislature. And you really may not realize that because we're so used to Congress and, and our uh, U.S. representatives and senators that are full-time elected officials. Um, but Georgia legislators have full-time jobs and lives outside of the session. And certainly they spend more than part-time on their elected duties. Um, but what this means in being a part-time legislature is that they're real people, they're facing the same issues that their constituents face daily. You know, they're practicing attorneys, doctors, real estate agents. We have a lot of small business owners, you know, nonprofit community organizers, even a few former educators, um, and the list goes on. It's a very wide range of experiences, and their own experience impacts how they approach issues that they're considering in the session. And we, you know, talked about how 
they operate at such a quick pace. Um, they're constitutionally required to pass a balanced budget during the session, um, and they pass upwards of 500 bills or more each year. So that that is a lot of work going on in just yes. a few months for for someone who's leaving their families, you know, behind, especially those in further areas of the state, to come to Atlanta and and get this work done. Okay. You just get, I mean, so much information, like the third largest in the state. I've not really wrapped my head around the fact that indeed they are part time and they're doing that much work in that 40 day period. So your average member, do they move to Atlanta for 40 days? Do they travel back and forth? What what's your experience? Uh, what's your body of knowledge on that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and we have gotten to know so many awesome legislators, and and it really does depend on where they're coming from. Okay. You know, some have okay. I've seen legislators who have children who live in Atlanta that they're able to stay with, or even college, uh, you know, students that are our students, uh-huh. you know, are helping oh, their wow. parents. Um, we've had some that do have, you know, maybe go in together and have a couple roommates so that they can on these late nights not go back and forth or maybe just get a hotel room a okay. few nights a week as needed, mm-hmm. you know, week by week basis. And so it truly does span the gamut and depend on how far they're coming. What do they have to get back for? Okay. Um, you know, we're having legislative meetings now. So they do have on specific issues meet throughout the interim and study committees and you know, mm-hmm. when it's farming season, our farmers in rural Georgia are like, I can't make it because we're picking up blueberries next week, you know? And so it, the, that change of the realness uh, yes. shines through. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they are living. I just, I guess, I, I think you're drawing out a great point here that in the state of Georgia, they're not on all the time. They've got real lives, real jobs, farming to do, you know, small businesses to run, big businesses to run, and they have to balance this. That That is really interesting. So I've got so many questions, Casey. I don't know. I don't know what, what I want to ask next, but this, I'm just really fascinated by this. So I think if I've said the word fascinated now, I've said it like 15 times already, but how does the session really impact our campus leaders? What, what's the impact there? Yeah, absolutely. So I talked a little bit about how they're coming up to Atlanta during the session to engage. Um, Mm -hmm. But that, you know, really that part of the year is when all their work around the year to build those relationships with their delegation members comes to a head. You can't Mm -hmm. wake up during the session and say, oh, I should participate in this process and and show up and, you know, open a door. I mean, certainly it's a public building. You're you're free to show up. But Mm -hmm. to really be an effective um, partner and advocate for your university takes a lot of work in building those relationships with your local leaders, of which our presidents are actually the absolutely those local leaders that are engaging with their chambers, engaging with their development authorities, the employers, uh, the civic groups, and and are a major employer themselves in their communities. And so throughout the year, our campus leaders are uh, really doing their part and being good partners so that when Mm -hmm. the session time comes, we're not starting at square one trying to make our case for university system Uh, priorities, which is our operating funds, campus capital projects, and other special initiatives. And so they are the session is really the you know go time of of making sure that their delegations have all the information they need. But really, this time of year and going into the holidays, after what really once we get get past the election, our campus leaders will be educating and making sure that our legislators are up to date with current campus updates, what those priorities are. If they have a capital project on the list this year that they're asking for, um, so that they're ready to be the best partners they can be when January comes around. 
And I love that you're using the word partner. Um, that that it's not we're not just siloed into the University System of Georgia or into our 26 institutions, but these leaders really do have to be a part of their community in this like I, I'm, I'm, I'm visualizing Georgia as a puzzle with every like everybody being their own puzzle piece that has to fit together. Yes, I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. So I can also imagine, though, that, you know, legislature legislators get voted in and out, you know, as as the election cycle happens. So it's sometimes rebuilding a whole new relationship. Is that have, like what's that look like? Oh, you're so right, Wendy. And especially as we get towards the election, this is on our minds a lot. Mm. And, you know, we started doing a count and saw some coverage as a legislators were qualifying for office earlier this year in the spring, we've had a lot of retirements as well. And some of those are some major committee chairmen in the House. We have our appropriations chairman, Terry England, is retiring and not seeking re-election. So these are some really big shoes to fill, not only in the leadership, but just in the total body. I mean, we're expecting at least a fourth of our legislators to turn over just from retirements and leaving office alone. And so that, exactly like you said, presents a major need uh, and opportunity mm -hmm. to educate mm -hmm. about who we are as a system, how we operate, how are we funded, where are legislators involved in the process, how can we be the best workforce partner we can be in the state and really try to sort of take off running because we are a lot to digest, <laughs> right? Mm, yes. Got, we're all over the state. We've got our puzzle pieces fitting together. Um, yes. They may know where they went to college. Uh, if they went to college in the state, they may know where their kids have gone to college if they're at that stage of life. But you know, really, unless they have some personal connection to an institution in the system, it, that's typically where it stops, right? We actually, right. we do have one former USG president who was in the state Senate. Max Burns was president at Gordon State College um, and is now a state senator. So that has been, uh, that's the best case, right? They know us, they understand us, they've, le they've led within the system, but um, that's the only uh, former president that I've worked with in elected office so far. Yeah, that'd be super um, helpful. We need, we, yes. need more, we need more uh, system office people to run for office. There you go. <laughs> But I can imagine, so, you know, the election happens in November and then you've got, you've got some new people coming in just a few, you know, really weeks, two months later. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And it, it is a, it's a crash course of all state government, yes. as you can imagine. Yes. Um, one really cool thing though that happens is typically the first week of December, and that's when it'll happen this year, right after an election. So it's every other year. The Carl Vincent Institute of Government helps the state legislative leaders to put on a biennial institute for legislators. And this is open to all legislators we attend as state employees, um, but it's really geared towards those newly elected legislators that are going to be coming in and to give them a crash course of a lot of the various operations within the state, what their state government is doing in different issue areas and some current updates, right? So it's one thing to know we have a Department of Transportation, but here's what we're facing in the state right. for transportation issues. And so one awesome opportunity um, is that Chancellor Purdue is going to be giving one of the lunch keynote addresses on behalf of the system during that biennial institute. And so we are already thinking, as you can imagine, of what should he be covering? What is our system update for legislators right before we go into the session of what we've been facing, what he's seen in his time as chancellor this year as he's traveled to all of our campuses and uh, give them a nice, robust update. So we've got a captive audience. You know, they're all be yes. there uh, before January comes around. 
Oh, that's great. I didn't know that. So there's a great connection there. And that's the, sort of their orientation, right? They're onboarding, it sounds like. Exactly. Um, and, and of course, Chancellor Purdue, I mean, you know, given his background, he, um, he'll he fill that slot really well, um, yes. but then also be able to share in this new role that he's in. That's really great. I'm glad they do that. I can't imagine, you know, just walking in, trying to get your feet under you, you know, so that's, that's really one. good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and that really leads me to another question I'm really curious about. You've been involved in these legislative sessions um, in your role for, for a couple of years now. What have you learned about leadership? What have you, what's this taught you? Yeah, it's been a really awesome privilege first to, to work with so many of our elected officials and to just have the opportunity to sort of peek behind the curtain on how this policymaking thing really mm-hmm. happens. Um, and I've learned so much in the past years of, of participating in the process. But I think one thing that immediately comes to mind is just the importance of incorporating input from others. You know, I mentioned our legislators have their own expertise and backgrounds, um, but they also understand that they're not experts in all areas of the law that they're considering throughout the legislative session. And so you'll hear if you're tuned into legislative hearings or over at the Capitol, a lot of times the question is being asked, you know, what does this group think of this proposal or has this group weighed in on this new language? We've been called up to the podium unexpectedly to say, how does the university system feel about this bill? You know, so it's it's really encouraging to see how collaborative of a process it is. You know, so much of our time is spent sitting around a table with different interest groups and legislators and discussing aspects of a proposal. Um, mm-hmm. This doesn't happen in a silo with just one person's ideas. Um, and it it, it really uh, shows, I think, the value of that input and is something that legislators truly embrace um, and I think is an awesome aspect of their leadership that I've been able to see and participate in. And I've also learned a lot through just getting to know these elected officials in a more personal way. I mean, we've worked with them for so many years. Being an intern, you know, you certainly you're in the trenches with some of these these folks and um, learning what it means to be grounded in values as a leader. Mm-hmm. And, you know, politics aside, our legislators lead from their core values, first and foremost. I mean, these values really aren't red or blue or divided along party lines. You know, they are there to do the right thing as they see it and to make a difference for people. And um, it's just, it's an awesome thing to see. I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to engage in it and see such value-centered leaders at work in service to our their citizens, our citizens, so. Okay, I love that. I love everything you said, because I think what you just said is really important because what the average citizen, especially right now, is getting inundated with is the negative. You know, whether it is the federal level, the state level, whatever it is, like we are hearing all the negative on the ads and in the postcards that are coming in the mail and the tweet or the, yeah, the tweet, I'll put tweets in there, uh, the text. And so to hear, because, you know, we teach a lot in leadership development about proximity. You know, the more you, the closer you can build or get to somebody and build a relationship, the more you understand their point of view, their um, experiences, their life experiences, their approach to the work. And so really what you're saying is, you know, having been in there, you've seen them do values-based decisions. That's really positive. I think we need to hear that. (laughs) We need an ad on that. (laughs) Yes. 
We do. I mean, that, that there are values-based decisions being made and that there actually is collaboration going on um, in Atlanta. You know, and, and I hear that phrase so often, oh, in Atlanta, you know, quote, unquote. But actually, mm -hmm. you've been in there, in the committee meetings, in the decision-making process, seeing it and watching it happen. You've had the proximity. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that really positive outlook. <laughs> Yes, no, thank you for the chance to share it because it is something that it, unless you're right there in the middle of it, you're probably not seeing as much with all the other, you know, information overload that we get. Sure. Um, but it it is, it is inspiring to see people who want to come to work and, and make a difference. And, you know, a lot of times that some of the phone calls I get, it's like, I'm just trying to help this group or the right. farmers in my district or the students right. in my district, you know, and that's, that's truly, I would say, the underlying motivation on so much of what we see. And we can disagree mm -hmm. about, you know, what ends up becoming the political side of it and the, the best answer, you know, and that's that's right. the process. But right. um, knowing that underlying uh, core values that, that are driving it really uh, helps in the everyday yeah. and, and doing the work. Yeah, I mean, you're right. We can disagree. There's nothing wrong with that. Healthy disagreements, healthy conflict actually can be productive and you know, help um, help us become creative problem solvers. We don't want to, it's not about shutting down disagreement. It's about doing it in a way that's respectful, that is values-based, that is um, human-centered, if I could print, if I could word it like that. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely, I love that. Yeah, well, that that's awesome. So, have you been able to take these, this values-based decision-making or, you know, and, and, and seeing this collaboration, do you apply these to your everyday work at the system office? Yeah, you know, I think what I've shared about the value-based values-based leadership that we see at the Capitol, you know, I 100% see that in our leadership of the system, both on our campuses and our system office leadership. And so it's it's absolutely, it's not just when I go over there that we see it. And so it's been such an awesome privilege for me to see this in action specifically in the higher ed space and, mm -hmm. and try to learn from that and to say, why does this matter? What is the work that we're doing making a difference? And fortunately, we work in public higher ed and mm -hmm. we can see the impact that we're having on our students' lives and that really give us that meaning behind our work matters here. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, actually just a few weeks ago. So one of my favorite TV shows is Friday Night Lights. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a huge County Britain fan. And there's a scene in one of the episodes where one of the characters is reading out loud her college essay. Mm -hmm. And it's a, you know, a student who was not projected to go to college. And so anyway, she's she's trying to get in. And her essay ends with the quote that college represents possibility. Um, and that's something I just love that I printed it out. I've had, yes. I have it by my computer right here. And, you know, it just is a reminder every day that we're, we're talking about protecting and strengthening these life changing opportunities for people, yes. um, which is something I really believe in. And so having those values based in the way we approach our work here at the system um, has really made a difference for me and not just being a job that we show up for and we right. you know, leave at the end of the day. And, um, you know, I've, I've seen the the impact of that, having values at the core of our work, you know, across sort of my, my world at the Capitol and then here at the system. And it's been very helpful for me uh, personally and professionally to see that. I love it. You know, we can take so much about pop culture 
and, re- yeah. and and apply it. So I love that you have that quote because you're right. Like it is about possibility. And I think having that state viewpoint that there, there, there are different challenges all over the state for our students to not only enter, you know, to walk onto a college campus, but then to remain there and get the degree. And so making those values-based decisions making college a possibility. I think if you, you know, on the on your worst day, you can look at that quote and remember why you're doing what you're doing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's why that's why I love it so much. Yeah. Yes. And the other thing um that I think is that's really resonating with me about what you're saying is you know, you you kind of started to see this values-based leadership and so, okay, this is going to be kind of silly, Casey, but go with me here. Do you know, yeah. like when when you're when you buy a new car or you're thinking about buying a new car, and let's say you know it's a I don't know a, a blue Honda Accord, um, and then you start seeing blue Honda Accords everywhere, you know, like <laughs> yes. you, I, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but like all of a sudden, I think there's actually a name for it. But you start seeing that thing wherever you go, and I yeah. think once you've been ex- once you've been exposed to values-based leadership and the impact it can have, you can start recognizing it when you see it. Does that make sense? Yes, abs- I think that's so true in what I've experienced and see, and I see it too in our students. Mm. You know, they, our student leaders are some yes. of the best examples that I've seen of values-based leadership, but you yeah. know, certainly it's not, they're not in their careers yet. And so it, it's, you're still translating it to your, to your real life in your professional world. But, um, you know, recognizing that it's not just the CEO that can have mm-hmm. values-based mm-hmm. leadership, that it's, it's really what can be intrinsic in a person, regardless of what type of role they're in. That's been so cool to me to see and, and start to recognize like that blue record. Oh, Casey Tanner. Yes. I mean, <laughs> I wish I sometimes wish this was a visual um, because I'm kind of rocking back in my seat, like pointing at the screen saying, yes, <laughs> um, our students, if you will engage with our student population, you see that it's not it's absolutely not about title. It's just about um, that focus on those values and making those decisions and being committed to that type of leadership. So you're so right. Like, you know, my area uh, sort of by subject matter expertise is servant leadership. And that's exactly what we say. It, 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 anybody, it, you don't have to have a title to, to practice servant leadership. It's just about removing the highest obstacles from someone else's, you know, needs. And so, yes, I think you can see it in students and then, you know, anyone who's engaging in this mission to create a more educated Georgia. Yes. Yeah, that's it. Wow. All right. You got me excited. So and and we've got to wrap up and now I'm all like ramped up. We could we could stay on that message for a long time. But (laughs) as we do wrap up, because I need to be mindful of your time, I have two last questions. What is the message you would want to get out to listeners? What what do you want them to remember? What do you want them to know? Besides go watch Schoolhouse Rock. Yes. learn the basics start at schoolhouse rock (laughs) um so i think once you've watched schoolhouse rock and you're ready to graduate uh Mm -hmm. to more advanced um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know if you're interested in following a little more closely than maybe you have in the past what's going on during the legislative session as we get get to january and obviously if you're listening to us today you're a podcast follower and listener so Mm -hmm. there are a couple 
sources that I love that I listen to year round and especially during the session. So a couple podcasts for Georgia politics um, is Political Breakfast by WABE and Politically Georgia by the AJC. So I have those on rotation on my morning commute. Um, And then during the session, uh, Georgia Public Broadcasting puts puts together every legislative day. So there'll be 40 episodes, um, a show called Lawmakers, which you can stream online through their website, uh, that really does sort of an update from the Capitol and then brings on, typically on both sides of an issue, there'll be two legislators on one for, on either side of an issue that's being discussed that day or week um, for an interview. And I find that, you know, really plays into a lot of what we've said today, Wendy, on, mm-hmm. you know, hearing their motivation behind this. I think it, those interviews cut through a lot of some of the sound bites and really get to the, the core and the reasoning behind why I feel this way. What are my values behind this? So if you, I know we don't have a whole, a lot of extra minutes in the day, but if that's something you're interested in hearing more about, uh, those are some, some fun resources. Uh, that's perfect. And we'll post those somewhere for people to click and find links for, so we can put them up on our SharePoint um, and, and share them in our newsletter. So thank you so much. Perfect. That's what we need. I mean, I, I will admit, I listen to my podcast faster than 1.0 speed. Um, it, <laughs> uh, people tell me it sounds like chipmunks, but I've trained my ear to be able to listen. And so if I can get in some quick, you know, news information that has both sides, that is, you know, a little bit more straight here. Here's what you need to know. Um, I mean, that's what we need to make these educated decisions as voters, but also be more educated as system office employees and as, you know, uh, as partners along with our communities. That's fantastic. I mean, I, I'm i a big fan of getting news that way. I don't have time to sit and read newsletters a whole lot. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, or yeah. even the old fashioned newspaper. Um, but yeah. I, I can put a podcast on on my commute and and get you know, what I need. And of course, everybody can choose the podcast of your, you know, choice, but there are some great options, including those. So thank you. Um, I think that's great. All right. Here's the last question. Because this show is called Thrives, can you share something that is helping you thrive right now? Yeah, I well, with the fall season and just how amazing the weather is uh, for us right now, I've really been trying to get home before dark, after work, okay. so mm-hmm. I can take my dog on a walk and Aww. and see the leaves and just be outside. And it's been such a nice, just clear your mind from the day. You know, it's so hectic, uh, and yes. you're you're getting through your to do list and then thinking about what you have tomorrow. And you know what I've been doing? I know we're talking about you know you can spend your time well by listening to a podcast. That mm-hmm. actually on these walks for the past couple of weeks have been leaving my headphones at home, and I'm not. Nice. I don't have any yes. input other than just being out there and I've really enjoyed it. So that's, that's helping me thrive this week. That's I, I I'm on board. I totally, I mean, I think you have to sort of um, disconnect, especially after work. Um, you know, you've got a hectic 40 days coming up right after the holiday season, which yeah. can be hectic, you know, in, in so many different ways. And I think, using this time to decompress and, and and even trying to do that in the while the session's going on but but kind of gearing yourself up i think that's great and i yeah i think a lot of research would say we probably need to leave our headphones at home more often than we're doing <laughs> um, yes but after you've already so. listened to the thrives podcast yeah 
do that. <laughs> Thank you, Casey. Absolutely. Once you get your monthly monthly thrives content in, yeah. then leave your headphones at home. Yes. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. Good plan. I mean, okay, y'all, this has been full of like information we need to know. Hopefully you're taking notes. This has been, you've got some, some things to take away as listeners. Casey, like, thank you so much. Um, you do a great job of sharing this information in a way that's understandable. Cause I don't, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I think government can be tricky. Um, I, I mean, you know, it's been a while since I took a government class and, and um, so this has been super helpful for me. So thank you so much. I really yeah. appreciate your time. I was so flattered to be asked and just to have the interest in, in the work we're doing and appreciate the opportunity to share and to chat with you, Wendy. Thank you. Well, I'd love for you to come back maybe after the session and give us an update, give us some details on how it went, what happened, what we need to know. So we there need to go. put that on our schedules. All right. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much, listeners. Um, I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. I'm going, if I can stand to listen to my own voice, I'm going to listen to this one again <laughs> because I think I need to uh, really absorb this information and just be a, a more educated person in terms of our state government. So thank you again. Watch for another episode of the Thrives Podcast coming your way soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Thrives Podcast. We hope you have learned something new and had a little fun at the same time. If you have suggestions for a person to interview or a topic you want to hear more about, please email us at usothrives at usg.edu. Episodes will be available whenever you are ready to listen. And until next time, keep thriving.